0: My name is Justin, and I, get to, I work with the youth here, and uh, they're absolutely incredible. I've been, par- been helping out for a couple months now, and, uh, and just so you know, if you don't know, if anyone has a student in junior high or high school, um, the registration for winter camp just went online. You might think, oh my gosh, this guy's pitching youth ministry. Well, yeah, I have a microphone, so I can say almost anything I want. And uh, the youth ministry, we're just so excited for camp that's coming up. We're putting a lot of planning, a lot of preparation into it. And at Sanctuary Church, we love camp. We love camp. That's why we send our kids away. Because we believe that something that's really important happens, okay? We believe that Jesus speaks all the time. We have the chance to hear what he has to say here at church, at home. And Jesus doesn't speak differently at camp, but we tend to hear him differently when we take students away from the pressures of every day, from the distractions. There's no distractions up there. They just get to connect with each other, connect with leaders, and more importantly, connect with Jesus. And one of the things that I'm passionate about, that I've talked to Rod about, and that he agrees with, that money is never going to be a reason a kid doesn't go to camp at Sanctuary Church because At Sanctuary Church, we love camp. So, if there's an issue that you have, I remember me when I was a kid. um, I had a single mom. You know, we were very, very poor, and we could not afford a $250 camp. If it wasn't for my youth pastor helping make sure that I went to camp, I don't know if my faith journey would have had the kind of milestones that I look back on now as an adult. That's why it's so important. So, if there's a a financial need, come talk to me. Come talk to Andrew. Um, We will make sure we get your kid to camp because it's Sanctuary Church, we love camp, we believe in it, so we're excited for it. Uh, I have a quick video um, that I want to show you real quick, so let's uh, let's tune your eyes to the screen, let's roll this. Me and Mommy ate all the candy. <laughs> no, you didn't want it. Well, we didn't want it at first, but then we decided we did want it, and we ate it all. There's no candy left. What? Yeah, your bag's empty. There's no more treats. Hmm. I I ate it all. Oh, I didn't want it? I'm sorry. Hmm. We were really hungry. It's all your candy. Did I get you? Did I get you? Yeah. Was that a good one? Yeah. Yeah? All right. Start eating your breakfast. bye -bye. (laughs) A joke. (laughs) Halloween. I love Halloween. I love messing with my own kid. I can't mess with the, I can't mess with other people's kids the way I'm allowed to mess with my own kid. And I, and I love that clip. So authentic, the reaction, okay? The total excitement, expectation of candy. I don't know what he thinks he's going to have candy for breakfast, but he knows that the candy's there. So when you mention all the candy's gone, he's like, wait, what you, you didn't even want the candy. What are you talking about? Like, it, it's just the best. And the emotion, the, the immediate emotion of tears and crying and, and you know, equaled with the you know, excitement and jubilation, the, the candy's actually there. There's a roller coaster of emotions, okay? The roller coaster of emotions. We can see that in children, and I love that moment, seeing it in a child. If you've ever taken your kid to Disneyland or, you know, threatened to Take away a trip to Disneyland, like if you've ever given your kid like a really nice gift, whatever that thing they've been wanting is, or threatened to take that thing away, like you can see like the roller coaster of emotions. We have this with adults, okay? With every touchdown of your favorite team, like you feel like you and you know this guy knows what I'm talking about. And then every you know turnover or you know every time you know the offense hits the field in general, you just know that it's just going to be a bad thing, and the emotions go you know sideways. You know, you know what I love about the book of Jonah, which is what we're going to be talking about today, Jonah chapter three. Jonah is an example of you and me. He's an example of the nation of Israel. That's why it's included in the Old Testament. It's not just some some story of a guy who did a thing. He is in himself, in this situation, in this story, the, the circumstances that he encountered. He is a microcosm of the entire spirit, the entire feeling, the entire emotion of the nation of Israel. This one man, Jonah, reflected everyone that day like he 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 might have been speaking for himself you know as a prophet you know on maybe on God's behalf but he was reflective of the sentiment that everyone had in the nation of Israel when it came to their enemies, which these people were their enemies. They did not like them. So when Jonah goes, and you know we've gone through the first couple chapters, right? He you know, goes, and he ran away, and swallowed by the, the big fish, and you know, back up on the land, and praying in the belly, and the whole thing. And now we're at the place where Jonah is going to get this next chance. Now you have to imagine, for him, this is the, this, a roller coaster of emotions. Because he was a really great prophet. He did really good stuff. And even the person who is a really great prophet, you know, really great person, does really good stuff, still has moments where they make absolutely huge mistakes, big mess-ups, big screw-ups. Now here's the thing, he had been living his life, you know, everything's really happy, usually giving really good news to people that people have liked, and now he has been uh, you know, thrown into the situation where he has to go to people that he does not like, he does not support these people, these people have been hurtful to the Jews, to the nation of Israel, um, there's no reason to um, want them to have God's forgiveness, God's love, God's acceptance, there's no reason for Jonah to want that for them. And so he rejects it and he runs away the whole thing. Now he has this second opportunity. Now you have to imagine this whirlwind of emotions that Jonah is going through. Because he knows what he probably should be doing. But he doesn't want to do it. He actually does it begrudgingly. This is what the Bible says, okay? And I want to ask you this question before we start. How many times do you need to be told something? I don't know what that answer is for you. I know for my wife, it's like, you know, if she was here, she'd be like, I need to be reminded of things. You know how many times I need to be reminded about the diffusers? The diffusers are very serious. And every diffuser, like, in the house, I feel has a different, like, potion or recipe or witch's brew that, you know, that makes that room specifically something magical. And I want to go on the record that I support essential oils in every way, and I do not So if she asks you, okay, I said nothing but positive things, okay, nothing but positive things very serious about this. But I don't know how many times you have to be reminded of something. Jonah had to be reminded continuously and in very, um, very direct ways in in a situation that was very difficult for him because, again, he had this internal tension, this emotional tension for people that he did not support or like or want to see God forgive, accept, and welcome in. And and what his responsibility as a prophet of God—remember, this this wasn't just some lackey loser, you know, guy who slept in late and and never really showed up for work— This was a guy that was a hardworking prophet of God that went and spoke to kings on God's behalf. He He was someone who was selected on purpose. He was at the top of his game when God asked him to do something that he just at his core did not want to do. That, to be honest, no other Jew in Israel would have wanted to do this. If there was like a big public hearing, if God, you know, managed by democracy, which he does not, by the way, but if he didn't, he collected all the Jews together. He's like, hey guys, hey, you know, I just want to get everyone's opinions. I'm thinking, uh, first order of business, I'm thinking of, of extending my love and acceptance to some of your enemies. Uh, is there, what, what do you guys think about that? They'd all riot. Like, they would be throwing chairs. They'd be very angry, very upset. Probably a few you know, Jewish swear words thrown in there, which I know because I grew up Jewish, I'll tell you later. And they, were, they, they just wouldn't have accepted that idea at all. They just wouldn't have accepted it. So now we have Jonah Having gone through this, the internal emotions, the difficulty of everything, he's rejected the direction once, and now we're picking up. This is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Okay, second time. Get up and go to the great city in Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see us. This is a huge place, okay? So I, this is important because you really got to get context for this. It's like going to Los Angeles huge, huge place. And he's going there and he has a message that he needs to deliver. And the purpose of this message isn't just to, you know, give him something to mull over. The purpose of this message was that I'm going to destroy this place. I'm going to level it to the ground. I'm going to kill everyone. Everything will be gone unless something changes, city of Nineveh. And, And to show you how serious I am, I'm sending my, like, one of my top tier prophets to deliver this message. This is a guy who should be taken seriously and his message should be taken seriously. It is a serious message. And he goes and he walks in, and it, again, huge city, three days to see the entire thing. This is what it says, next verse. And the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. So here's really need to think about this. Walks in the city, huge city. And he starts shouting to the crowds. You, know, you, you might think these crowds were already gathered. These were not gathered crowds. These were just crowds. So imagine a marketplace where everyone is shopping in the streets like a bazaar. Like imagine going to like an outdoor mall. I like going to Victoria Gardens. I love that place. I love spending money there. I love earning money to spend there. I love you know, spending money I don't have. I just love the Apple Store. You know, don't have a lot of head nods. And there's just so many stores there, good food there. But the best part there is the people watching anyone like an avid people watcher? All right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So 4th t- of July one time, my wife and I, we used to live in Huntington Beach. I think this was right before we were married, so we weren't living together. I, li- I lived in Huntington Beach. But, so I think this is before we were married. But I distinctly remember us sitting at a, a, a breakfast place uh, called the Sugar Shack. If anyone's been to Huntington Beach, California, you probably know this place. And we're just watching these people. It was the 4th of July watching these people. And they were doing the most... Ridiculous things, things that you would, you would not want to have recorded and shown to you later, although I did record them, but I could not find them later to show them. But it was truly wonderful. But it, and the streets were packed full of people. Fourth of July, Huntington Beach, California, streets were packed full of people. And and they weren't they weren't there congregating for any specific thing. They're just large crowds. That's what Jonah was dealing with. He he wasn't it wasn't like a gathering of people that are like, hey, Jonah's coming to town. Jonah the prophet? Yeah, Jonah's coming. Oh, we got to go see this guy. Was he really in the belly of a fish? This is what I've heard. Like it wasn't that at all. These are just a, a big city. Crowds of people roaming through the city, purchasing things, buying things, meeting with people. And then enters Jonah, who comes walking in, yelling to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's a serious message. Okay, Imagine if someone walked into your house and said, 40 minutes from now, I'm going to burn this house to the ground. Okay, Imagine if someone said that. You'd be like, this is a very serious thing. I'm going to take this person seriously. This is a serious message. Now, the people in Nineveh, you might think, well, how seriously did they take this message? Some guy walking in a town, like, there's a lot of crazy people. That sounds like a crazy person thing to do, first of all. That's the guy with the sign. That's Warshak with a sign, okay? That's, if anyone's a Watchmen fan. That's a, it's a cartoon. It's a comic book. All right, never mind. Don't worry about that. He's the guy that walks around with the sign that says the end is near, the world's coming to an end, the end is near. Like, that's the crazy guy, okay? Until the world starts coming to an end, it's like, what did that guy know that none of us knew? For them, they were looking at this guy, right? Probably, like, he's crazy. Who's going to listen to the guy walking into a huge city like Los Angeles saying, hey, 40 days from now, the city's going to come to an end. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. God's message. Believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Okay, here's the thing. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Jonah did not want them to receive God's forgiveness. His actions proved that his actions proved that he didn't really want, I know, I know God came to him a second time and said, go, and I know he obeyed, right? I know he, he said, okay, God, I'll go, I'll do it. But his actions really reflected that he didn't want them to receive God's forgiveness. Okay, this is like a child. So my three-year-old, who you just saw a video of, is amazing. That video, if you didn't know anything about my kid other than that video, I think you can draw a lot of conclusions of the kind of kid he is. He's super fun, super dramatic, over the top, hilarious. He gets humor, he's a really good guy. So he picks on his brother, um, which is you know great, they're brothers, they pick on each other. And and, and I'm teaching how to fight. Okay, I think we've well, we've we've talked about that, I've shared about it in messages earlier. You know, you're wrestling around, you get inside control, take him to the ground. Like I, I teach him all these things I probably shouldn't teach a kid in preschool, but I do. And he tries these things, and he's his brother. And, you know, and boys need to, like, roughhouse. It's part of being a boy. Like, you need a roughhouse and, like, rough play. And, like, it, it teaches young boys things, you know, about, you know, limits and boundaries and, like, what hurts and doesn't. Like, it's all a healthy developmental thing. But sometimes he goes too far, and he has to apologize. That's a very simple thing, right? An apology. You know, I'm sorry. And usually you think you should kind of share an apology with the same kind of fervor you shared or did whatever caused you to need to apologize. So if it, what you did was over the top, like you should do kind of a matching apology to show, show how sorry you are. You know, if you did something kind of minor, you know, give a minor apology. But when you do something that's over the top, you know, something that you really shouldn't have done, and then you match that with kind of like a half-hearted phone-in apology, like we see the discrepancy. I remember principals all through my life. You know, that you know, I get in a fight with a kid. Um, sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. It doesn't matter my record. But what, what the matters is that that I, after the fight, my principal would say, and I don't know why they always did this. We'll shake hands and apologize, and you're like, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, man. Like it's like you know, you're phoning that, and you don't care about that. You you don't really forgive the person. You're thinking, all right, the next opportunity I'm going to learn from the last time, and you're going to get it. And wait till after school. Like, you're not thinking, like, oh, man, yeah, this is really the amends I was looking for. You know, my heart is pure now. Like, that's not what you're thinking, okay? But that's what, that's what Jonah's doing here, okay? That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah does not want to go to these people and, and tell them how they can receive God's forgiveness. So he walks into the city doing exactly, yeah, yeah I'm doing what God told me to do. You know, I'm warning them, I'm bringing the warning, walking into the crowd and say, hey, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. I hope you guys can hear me. I hope you do something about it. I really hate this place to be destroyed. Uh, you know, 40 days, I know it's a big city. I hope the message spreads. You know, the reality is he has no real expectation. I mean, I'm being serious about this. I I read a really great commentary by a guy named uh, um, Sasson, and he is a professor out in uh, um, the East Coast uh, at uh, Bethel Seminary, a seminary out there in the East Coast, really great seminary. And he talks about this specific verse, that there's truly no expectation that the message that he's giving is going to spread in the city, that he's doing this to kind of check the box of of God saying, hey, I need you to go to the city, I need you to do this thing. He's like, okay check the box. I'm I'm doing it. I've done it. There's no expectation that what he's doing is going to make a difference in his mind, at least. Here's what I love, though. You may, now I don't know if you do, but you may need the message, even if it's from a terrible messenger. You, You may need a message, even if it's from a terrible messenger. Now, the thing I loved about the people of Nineveh, they needed that message, Yes, they had a terrible messenger providing it, but it was a message that they needed to hear, and one that when they heard it, now I've never—I uh, don't know if you've spent time in the desert before, like just like hiking around, like doing stuff. You can get really thirsty really fast, like really thirsty. Not just the heat, but the sweat, and then you're walking, and there's just like, a lot of physical things that. And man, when you get that first cup of water or Gatorade or you know, fill in the blank and, it, and, and, it, and it, you, you drink till it truly satisfies you, not just like a sip and you're like, okay, my mouth is like moist again, but you, you take enough of a drink to where you're really satisfied and it fills you up. And whew, imagine a group of people that are so dry from God they're so dry from what God wants for them. They're so dry from an understanding of who God is. They're so dry and in need that even a terrible messenger can bring a message that can satisfy. You, know, you come to a place where you're in such need that even though the person delivering the message may not be the most perfect of vessels, The message itself is from God, and it's so clear, and it's so satisfying and quenching. The people of Nineveh, when they heard it, it immediately satisfied in a way only God's message can for people who are needing it. Because here's the thing. God, I believe, really had these these people primed and ready. They were ready for something. You know, there's probably a lot of people in this town who are looking around. They're just unhappy with the way their life has been going. And then the, you, the, you kind of have that knowledge that there's probably something better out there, but you just don't know what the something better is. And then someone comes in who really doesn't care, per, per se, about the, the message that he's giving. But man, oh man, did they need it. Was it—it it was the right message, even though it wasn't the right messenger. You know, verse number six, when the king of Nineveh—which, by the way, just— just to make sure we really continue to track with this. You have a huge, huge city. Lots of people. So big, three days to travel the whole thing. And a guy coming in with a, with, you know, half heartedly with a message he doesn't really want to give, that that message finds its way to the king. That's like the biggest, like, that's the biggest deal in the world. Like, how, how can such a simple message find its way all the way up to the king? Well, yeah, God, Well, God's involved in it, right? God's involved in the message. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, God's involved and in it. I, I agree with that. But then there are some messages that are so needed that they catch on like wildfire in a community, in someone's life, in a church, in a family. There's, just, there's a truthful message that, that you know, enters into the conversation that just changes everything so quickly that it goes all the way up to the top. It just spreads. He, he, people just keep repeating it and keeps sharing it and, and, and it starts to make impacts and changes quickly. That's where they were at this time. That's where the city of Nineveh was. They were ready for a message that would be changing. They were ready to hear something. It went all the way to the king. Something that Jonah probably never expected. Honestly, probably something Jonah didn't even want. But that's exactly what happened. You know, this is what it says. Went to the um, king of Nineveh, heard what Jonah was saying. He stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Okay, so I just want to make a couple points here. Number one, only God knows the heart. We're not called to be their doctor. We're called to obedience. What does that mean? Only God knows someone's heart where they're at. You know, God knew where the king was at, where the city of Nineveh was. Like he, he knew where they were. They just needed the opportunity. God knew where their heart was. Now here's the thing. Jonah, he, he's not called to be a doctor. He's not called to be like the one to kind of, oh, I don't know. I'm not too sure about this. Like, I don't think this is going to work out. Like, we, Maybe we should you know, call it. You know, this, 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 these people aren't going to survive. You know, it's just whatever. We're actually just called to obedience. We're not called to think through all the reasons it wouldn't work. We're just called to take action, believing that God can make it work. You know, so often, and I don't know about you, okay? So maybe this is only me. Maybe I'm, I'm in a room alone right now. But there are so many times where I feel God's like really clearly saying something or directing me to do something. And it's so easy for me to say, no, no, God, you know, you just don't, you just don't know this is really a waste of time. This is a waste of my energy. You're, I could be playing Call of Duty right now and you're asking me to go talk to this person. Like, I feel like getting a higher score. You know, maybe I could meet someone on the game and tell them about Jesus. I don't really, you know, I could do that from my bed. I don't really know if you want me to go all the way out here. It's really, you don't know them. And it's really easy for me to become doctor and make prescriptions for their heart. You know, I think God knows their heart a little bit better than I do. I'm not called to be their doctor. I'm called to live in obedience, to actually just take action. I mean, I just think of all the reasons it wouldn't work. I just make all these excuses, all, all these things of you know what. So you know, I like doing like spur of the moment things. I'm a spur of the moment guy, and so I'll talk to my wife, be like, babe, you know, we should just give you kids, you know, you know, give our kids to your, you know, parents for the weekend. Let's just go to like, let's just get, book a flight to San Francisco and hang out. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why don't we just like? I'll go online right now, buy some flights. Let's just go for this weekend. Let's just do it. She's like, what? What? Well, hold on. Well, with the kids, and, and what would we pack? And you know, what the, you know we can't do this. The life is too crazy right now. And it's like life's always going to be crazy. There's a million reasons not to be spontaneous. There's only one reason to be spontaneous, because it's awesome. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm so for just like kind of going for it and going with it. And I'm not the person that that will make all these qualifiers of why something won't work. Until of course I'm asked to do something that feels uncomfortable then all the spontaneity leaves and I start to rationalize all the reasons why I shouldn't or can't or won't. And this very you know, spontaneous, very easygoing, willing to take risks kind of guy becomes like the, the bean counter that wants to make sure everything lines up before I take the most minuscule risk when it comes to confronting someone, confronting a situation, maybe, maybe even confronting myself or inviting to be confronted on something that I've done. You know, God knows our heart, knows where we're at. We make all these excuses and reasons why we can't when he can. Again, it's the obedience thing, okay? And here's what I want you to write down. When you encounter the truth, it demands immediate action. That's one of the things I like about the king. One of the things I think God knew about the king that, and knew about his message that the prophet you know, Jonah's delivering. When you hear something that is, is truth, it demands immediate action. The king reflected that really well immediately taking action on what he heard, knowing that this isn't something you can just kind of sit on and wait on. You know, again, it's like, when we apply this to our normal everyday life, it makes total sense. You know, it, if, as you were getting in the car, your phone rang and you answered it. I said, hello? And then the other line was the person who said, hey, I just want to you know that last night I came to your house and I cut your brake lines. Have a great drive to work. You'd, be, you'd stop and you'd think to yourself, I don't think I should drive this car right now. I don't, think, I don't think I should do it. Well, yeah, of course you shouldn't do it. Because the truth is your brake lines are cut and that demands immediate action, which means you shouldn't drive your car. Like, this, this makes sense to us. Like, this totally makes sense. My wife got up in the middle of the night. She got an email. This is another essential oil story. So this is a really essential oil heavy, heavy lesson right now. She got an email about the Christmas BOGOs, okay? It's like a buy one, get one situation, okay? I know nothing about this other than that's where my money goes. So she, um, and so she got up literally in the middle of the night. These are the things that she doesn't get up in the middle of the night for everything. She'll get up in the middle of the night for this. And I love her, but it's true. And she got up in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m. when these, the sale went online, okay? To get all this stuff, to do whatever to the house, I don't know. But to her, she got this email, and it's like, listen, there's this new truth the truth is that you're going to save a bunch of money by getting all these oils. a special deal. Well, that changed, that changed the perspective of her night. It demanded immediate action. And so she, she took action to reflect the new information that she's gotten. Again, this makes sense to us when we're talking in normal, everyday terms. But then when we move into the spiritual, we all get amnesia. We are like, whoa, what's going on? I don't, I don't know. We should really talk about this and think about this. No, 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 listen. If God called you up on your phone, you're in your car, getting ready to go to work. So, you know, me, hello? Hey, it's, it's me, Jesus. I'm hanging up here uh, in heaven. Uh, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Well, I just want to let you know that uh, one of your coworkers at work just got really bad news today. And I, so I need you to be paying attention. I'm not going to tell you which one. But when the moment happens, I need you to have a listening ear and invite him to come to church with you this weekend. Uh, I think you have the wrong no- Who's this again? I get, I'm going through a tunnel. The, wind the window's down. It's windy. I gotta, there's a cop coming. I gotta go. It's like, come on. Are you serious? But that's what we do. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. We don't let the truth of what God's trying to say impact our immediate actions. Here's the thing. One of the many reasons that Jesus tied his story to the story of Jonah is for this point. That truth changes and should make immediate changes to our behavior. That Jesus, okay, again, let's, you know, Jesus, okay? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like John, okay? I'm not talking about John with the long flowy hair, okay? I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about Peter and, you know, cutting people's ears off guy. I'm talking about Jesus, the Christ, the guy, the one who was on the cross, like that guy. He chose, and he could have said anything, he could have tied his story to any of the prophets in the Bible. He could have talked about, um, you know, he could have really tied it uh, to Isaiah. He could have tied it to Jeremiah, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Hello, graduation verse, out of taken out of context all the time. We'll get into that another day. Jeremiah, okay, twenty nine eleven, love that. Uh, he could have tied it to any of the other prophets. He could have tied it to. He could have tied it to Moses a bunch. He could have been like, oh my gosh, like just like Moses was, blank, blank, blank. You know, G, the Son of Man, blah blah blah. He could have done it, but he didn't. He said, just like Moses, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the son of man will be three nights, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He tied his story to the story of Jonah, not because like everyone's gonna be debating, like, did he really get swallowed by a fish? I don't know, this this sounds crazy. Not because of that for eternity, but because he knew what we should know and do know when it comes to practical things, not spiritual things. He knows what we do know but don't always apply, which is when you're encountered with truth, it should make immediate changes to your behavior. You know, this is what it says. No one, no one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat and drink anything at all. So this is kind of what the king is saying. This is what he's decreeing. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must return, uh, turn from their evil ways and stop their violence. Who can tell? Uh, perhaps, who can tell? Question mark. Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold us back from his fiery, um, from his fierce anger from destroying us. You know what the word here is? Hope. If you're going to write down a word, I want you to write down the word hope. Because here's the thing. They're taking action. The king is taking action. Not because he knows, he doesn't have a contract in front of him. Jonah doesn't walk in with a contract of like, okay, king, here's the deal. 40 days from now, the city's going to be destroyed. I just need your verbal commitment and I just need you to sign right here because if you do, if you commit to these changes, sign right here, you're going to be good. God's going to take care of things. Be like, oh, okay, great. Oh, well, I mean, in that case, I'll totally, where do I sign? This sounds great. This is a good deal. (laughs) It's really easy to agree to the things that we know. It's really difficult to take on faith the things we don't. It's called hope. It's one of the things that Paul talked about. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in God Hope for heaven and love for the saints. Faith, hope, and love. I think I have it tattooed. There it is. Faith, hope, and love. I got tattooed for a reason. Faith in God. Hope for heaven. Hope that that after all this, there is an after this. There's hope. We have hope for that. In Christ, we have hope that this isn't all just it. Hope and love for the saints. Love for one another. Love for each other. And, and so, so this guy, he's not taking action because he knows. He's taking action because he has hope. Hope. You know, there's this verse in Hebrews. This is what it says. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. He's taking on faith that there are changes that need to be made in his city. Jonah hates this, by the way. This, is, this to Jonah is the worst case scenario. Because at least with a contract, he could add like a bunch of extra things, like no more picking on the Jews, and like maybe like pay us some reparations for all the things you put us through, and you know, and you all have to be, you know, fans of matzo bread, you know, whatever the deal. He could add whatever he wanted. Okay, matzo bread's a Jewish food. He could add whatever he wanted, right? That would have been really preferable to Jonah, probably, because then he could add a bunch of stuff that would probably make his life better and the life of the Jews better. But again, God's perspective isn't that. His hope isn't to just, you know, put all these qualifiers to, to, to make things all equitable. God doesn't live in, in that, the equitable, you know, let's just make it work for you and work for me and, we're, you know, everyone's cool with you. No, no. God works in the I love you, so I'm, I want to show my love and show my forgiveness to you. And, and, and so I'm asking you to make changes to you and so that I, and it's here and it's free and it costs you nothing. It's one of the, another one of the reasons that Jesus tied his story to the story of Jonah because there's so much in here that just unpacks the heart of God, who God is. And so the king starts taking on faith, immediately starts taking on faith that we need to make some changes in hope for the things that we don't presently see because there's no confirmation these things are. For all we know, this isn't going to work and God's just going to destroy everything in 40 days. This is just a countdown. There's no one coming next to say, hey God, just so you guys know, it all worked. It all totally worked. You're totally good now. Like, just enjoy. Keep living life. No, no. They were committing to something. This is important. Committing to something with actions of faith to reflect a hope that they had in what God's actions would be for something that was totally unseen. If you want an example of this, it's called investing in your marriage when things are, like, at its worst. When things are at its worst and you start investing in your marriage slowly— Without any evidence that like you know things are working like you 're not going like if things are really bad it 's not like you know after two days like you 're back in the bedroom and everything 's fine like that 's not anyone who 's married knows that 's not how marriage works but you know if things are going difficult in your marriage, those first couple days weeks of investing in in a healthy new direction to repair, fix, restore things things that might have been broken you 're investing in faith faithfully investing in something that you're hoping will turn around, even though you don't have any evidence that you, you know, any visual evidence at the moment that it's even going in the right direction. You're just continuing on faith that this is, we're moving in the right direction. You know, if you're, if you're a kid or you're in college or you're studying, like this is the semester system. You start off the semester, there's, you know, start off college, look there's no proof that getting a degree at the end of all this is just going to make your life better and make things awesome and, and fix all your problems. There's no, proof of that. But yet we go to class every day, and we do our homework, we take our tests, and and every day we take on faith. We faithfully do the things we're asked to do in hope for an outcome that will happen based on unforeseen evidences right now. There's no proof right now that it's all going to work out, but yet we take faithful steps every day looking toward this hopeful outcome, this hopeful future that presently we don't see the realities of. That's what the king is committing to. Now, Jonah hates that and, and, and didn't see any of that in their behavior, in the behavior of the city, the behavior of the people's hearts. But yet that's exactly what God knew could happen. Because, you know, we're not robots. He doesn't control us. He, 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 yeah, he knows what's going to happen, sure. But we have free will. We have choice. We he could, it could have gone the other way. Sure it did. And you get into the book of Amos and actually, you know, the, the whole thing goes sideways like later for Nineveh. but I won't get into that right now. But in this moment, they made new decisions that impacted their future. You know, this is what it says in verse 10. When God saw that they had, uh, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. How exciting is that? That's so nice. You know, it reminds me of this verse from Luke. Jesus said, this is Luke uh, 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, There's forgiveness for people when you make mistakes. If you're willing to own it, if you're willing to raise your hand and say, hey, you know, I screwed this up. I screwed this up and it shouldn't have gone the way that it went, but it did and I'm sorry and, and we need to get back on a better track. Jesus is the one who, with his own words says, hey, look forgive them. Show forgiveness. Nobody is destined for destruction. Nobody is on a path they can't get out of. Everybody is one truth, one moment, one conversation away from going in a new direction. You know, there's a song called Waymaker. Here's a couple words from that song that I really like. Waymaker, miracle worker. I'm not going to sing the song, obviously. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, this is who you are. I'm going to leave that up on the screen for a second. Don't, Don't take that down. Somewhere, some of these words connects with you when it comes to describing who you believe God is or who you're fearful that he's not. You know, I think for a lot of you, like, the for you who are like, oh, I love Jesus. I go to church all the time. Like, I love, I can't, it's going to be excellent to give, you know, this new property. Like, you know, whatever it is, like, tell me the amount, I'll do it. Like, you know, okay, whatever. Like, that's great for you. There's also a lot of you in this room who's fearful that this is not who God is. That when you think of God, you're fearful that he is not a miracle worker. Because whatever situation you're in, it's just, it's just beyond, you know, it's beyond repair. That you're fearful that he's not a promise keeper. Because man, you've had a lot of people break your promises. You, you just can't stomach the fact that God could break a promise and you're nervous about that. And it actually causes you to come to a place of disfaith instead of faith out of the risk of being disappointed. Your risk of fear of being disappointed by God leaves you not to even believe or put your trust in or willing to investigate this whole thing about God. And maybe for some of you who you're, you're dying for a light in the darkness. Because you know what, what darkness is in your life. You're afraid of the darkness. You hate it. You, you, it. Even right now, hearing it, you may sweat a little. Maybe your heart starts racing a little bit. Because you know what that spiritual darkness, relational darkness, emotional darkness, you know what that feels like. And so the idea that God would say, I'm going to be the light in the darkness and then not be there when it's at its most dark, it, 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 it makes you not even want to step out in faith. Here's the thing. For each and every one of you, there's a specific thing that you need. Maybe it's something you need to hear. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have. Maybe it's someone you need to invite to speak something into you. Everybody has a specific thing. And and here's the thing that I find to be so wild. God knew what that thing was for the people of Nineveh. Even though Jonah was just kind of giving a half-hearted, that half-hearted was exactly what the people needed to hear. You know, I'm going to put something on the screen. What's the specific message that God has for you that makes sense only to you that you're not listening to? See, so if, if you walked into most places and said, oh, 40 days and, you know, and this is going to be destroyed, that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But to the people of Nineveh, it was exactly what they needed to hear. You know, I think there's messages that you exactly need to hear, exact statements or feedback or, or teaching or wisdom. There's something specific that... that only will make sense to you. wouldn't make sense to me the same way because my heart's different than yours. My story is different than yours. I'm a different person than you are. My background's different. My family life's different. My, my walk with God has been different than yours. I mean, we're different people. But yet there's, a, there's a, probably a message specifically that would connect with you that you need to hear. And you probably know what that is, like deep down inside. And this isn't like a, this isn't like a, like a walk out of church, like high-fiving each other today, like, oh man, church is awesome. That guy kills. This isn't that kind of a thing. This is the kind of thing that you have to go home and think about. Like this is the thing you might have to go, maybe go back in the book of Jonah and like read through how, how a one simple statement could be this, this world-changing event for the people of Nineveh for a whole an entire city. And you might have to think for a second deep down, like not like what's on the surface. The stuff on the surface is like, just pass that, you know, push that aside. Deep down, is there a message? Is there a word? Is there a thought that you need to hear that you've maybe been looking for, that's maybe birthed out of a fear, a place of fear, a place of discomfort, a place of distrust with God, a part of your story that you just don't want to, you know, you just don't want to deal with that. You don't want to face that. You don't want to face things, stuff with your parents. You don't want to face stuff, like, early in your marriage. You don't want to deal with stuff when you were on the business trip. Like, you don't want to deal with how, like, you're really working your finances. Like, you don't want, you really want to deal with a lot of that stuff. But, like you know that there's a specific message that God has for you that makes sense only to you, and you know that you're not listening to it. And you just have to give a little bit of, a little bit of guard down, a little bit of—give a little bit of faith— and for a second, kind of walk in faith without any evidence that there's proof that there's health coming or restoration coming. But you're going to give a little bit of faith because you're going to move to what we believe that you're hoping for, which is something new, something different. You know, the worship band's going to come back up. And as they're coming back up, we're going to close with a song or two. I want you to think of this. If it wasn't for Jonah going to the city of Nineveh, Sharing a message that, it wasn't even an unpopular one. It was a confusing one. One that didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Except for the people who really needed it. If they would have been totally shut off to everything, they would have never gotten it. But they weren't shut off. Even people in their darkest time, the most difficult time, they have an openness to something, to the truth. I don't know what your openness is. I don't know where each and every person's at. But I think if I'm going to tie my story to the story of Jesus, and Jesus was willing to tie his story to the story of Jonah, there's a truth there that needs paying attention to. Now, you can dismiss this. You can walk out and and high five and like, oh, that was great. Or you just take a second, take a deep breath, look introspectively at yourself, at your life, the decisions you've made, the path that you're on. Is there a thing that you need to hear? You know what it is, but sometimes it's difficult to hear it, and it's even more difficult to make changes around it. Because there's no proof. And in a proof-driven, Instagram-driven, like story-driven society, where we're just going to click through and just see it, it's it's not where God's living in. God's not living in the immediate right now. He's living in the who you are, the changes you may need to make, and the impact of a message that only makes sense to you. Let me pray and we're going to stay up and worship. Heavenly Father, this is a great group. You, you love them. In this moment, I think that you have something that you really, just really want to get through to somebody. And, and, and gosh, there's just, it's so difficult sometimes. It feels like we're doing spiritual gymnastics, trying to stay away from the message that you have for us. But if we just pause for a second and just open our heart and open our mind and take, take a spiritual and emotional risk, that you have something that you need to say that's unique to each and every one of us that will penetrate us in a way that doesn't just cause this, this temporal you know, change, that actually could be life-changing. I believe in a life-changing God. I believe you're present with us now. I believe you're here in this room right now. I believe you care deeply for your people. Thank you. God, thank you for giving us the example of Jonah, the example of your son, Jesus. Amen.